Welcome back. This episode is really fun, really special. This is actually the first of many interview episodes coming up this year, 2022, for the Pen and Quill podcast. Today, we are speaking with Hannah Richards. Um, Hannah and I went on Instagram live, and we're going to do this from now on for interviews as well. I have an interview with uh, Christy, our typographer and the author of Truvai, coming up next week. It's already been recorded, but we tried Zoom out. And notice that Instagram Live not only gets a little bit better audio, I think, but also gives you an opportunity to participate. We love answering questions. Um, you'll even notice here in this interview today that we had some questions from the audience that we answered right on the spot because that's what we're here for. We're professionals in the publishing industry here to help you have a really pleasant and successful time. Hannah Richards um, is Act Social Hannah on Instagram, and she is an expert in book marketing. And as she'll explain in the interview, she's actually got a lot of family history as well as personal history in the major publishing world. So when she works with authors, she is the go-to person on how to market yourself, market your book, and really maximize your audience. Because the better you can grow your audience, the better you can grow your sales. She is a sp- specific that this isn't all about sales, this isn't about the money, but it is absolutely 100% about the readership. And hey, coming from someone who does know a thing or two about marketing myself, when you have solid, loyal readers, you've got sales because those are the people who will never stop talking about you and pushing those books. So let's, let's go ahead and dive in and get to it. You're listening to the Pen and Quill podcast, a weekly podcast about writing, editing, publishing, but most importantly, the art of storytelling. I'm your host, Nikki Aubrakit, author, editor, and cultural anthropologist. How are you doing? Good. Yeah. Sorry I took so long to get in here. I was like, the minute I was about to come on, my light decided to burn out. I was like, well, that's not going to fly. Oh, no. (laughs) Working from home issues, right? Yeah. (laughs) You never know what's about to happen. Right. Right. I actually decided to, uh, my first uh, nonfiction book I'm going to write, I'm kind of mapping it out right now. I haven't gotten like into it, but it's definitely called uh, What Fresh Hell Is This? But like the W and the F and the H are like really big. The, the real, the heaven and hells and working from home. Yeah. yeah, it's it's true. Like the dogs barking in the middle of calls and yeah, like all the different things. Yes. yes. I bet oh, authors can relate to because it happens for authors too. Yes, yes. I know, I think it was like Christy mentioned like having all these sticky notes all over trying to map out. And then the little kid comes by and is like, so what are these for? Pull, pull, pull. <laughs> of course uh, yeah. yes and i'm really excited too the uh construction next door has stopped yay yay it was good i was so afraid it's gonna be really really loud and it's not so this is awesome for everybody who doesn't know hannah is someone i've been following for quite a while and <laughs> and um she is an expert in growing your readership using social media which i noticed mm-hmm. On, because I, I do a lot of like involvement in Facebook groups. There are a lot of people who actually aren't involved in Instagram or Twitter. And I'm like, Twitter, I can kind of see, like, I'm still kind of getting used to it. 
Instagram, like, why not? That is your bread and butter. And they're like, why? And I'm like, ask Hannah. (laughs) I just just know that it is. (laughs) And so, and a lot of them, questions that came up, because one of Tala's goals for this year is to actually start our YouTube channel to get more, because we have uh, different learning types. You know, some people learn best from reading. Some people learn best from uh, slideshows. Some people work best with just audio. So like the podcast, the blog, but we don't, outside the Mind and Manuscript course, we don't really have anything for the visual people who like mm. are watching videos. And so when I posted all these questions, just across all these different Facebook groups for writers, inspiring authors, you know, what are the questions that you, that are just burning your mind? The number one question that kept coming up was how do I grow my, my sales and my readership? And I put mm. those two together. Cause even the ones were like, how do I market myself? How do I grow my sales? You and I both know it still comes down to readership. Because if no one's reading it, no one's buying it. And if no one's buying it, no one's reading it. You know, it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know, like when you see people even just ask that straight up question anywhere, what's your initial response? So my initial response is usually, have you been consistent? And did you have a pre-launch phase where you really focused on growing that readership first? Because a lot of people, they focus on their launch strategy and they don't think about like actually the launch is made successful by you having people already in your audience not by you finding them during your launch and ultimately like if you don't have any sort of audience beforehand usually it's much harder for people to sell books which is why I tend to recommend like to any author I'm about to do management with especially I'll be like at least three months like you need at least three months beforehand of really developing your platform to release your book and people skip this step and that's usually why their book isn't selling right and that was one of my my gut feelings too was like um some of these uh, questions are being asked by people who did not do that and so now Mm -hmm. it's already been published and they're like okay so i did all this and why is no one buying it? And I'm like, I feel like, because I'm watching Hannah, <laughs> I feel like we skipped a huge step. So when you're saying three months, are you talking about three months before the publishing date or three months before you begin to get to that publishing side? Like, where do you like recommend that starting point be? Well, my suggestion always would be six months really is your best timeline so like six months before your book is coming out you should really start focusing on like readership and reviewers as well and then um focus on those like pre-launch stages which i kind of talk about in my content sometimes but they're really mostly um focused on like the first one is just like building your base readership for that particular book and then going into like finding your um people that are reviewers next and then you go through that stage kind of again with your readers to really get them into your book. Because first they usually start off kind of cold and need to get mm-hmm. to know you first, which is I think another thing people miss is like, you can't sell a book without your personality. Right, right. You wanna know the author and, and wanted to get to know um, just like who's writing this. Cause who you are as a person absolutely shows up in the book. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, uh, and I tell people this all the time. And um, I've been working with people in the mind and manuscript course who have these questions of how do I avoid writing myself into the book? I'm like, you know, <laughs> so it, it is, it, it's gonna happen. It's absolutely gonna happen. Um, 
so okay okay so when you're when we're looking at the the early early stage and this is a question both i have i know a lot of the people i've talked with have as well when you're looking at growing your readership from that first level do you focus on within your genre do you focus with people you personally know like what's that that point where you're like okay i'm going to hone in on this just to even start off like you said when you're cold at, at it yeah, it's usually it's very individualized for the book, okay. but I tend to suggest you figure out your community of people that aren't in the reading community and then your community that is in the reading community. So like most people will focus on like hashtags like reader or hashtag reader plus your genre or something like that. Whereas if you're like if your Instagram is your like main technique, you should be focusing on like the community that might be around your book as well. So for instance, if you wrote like romance and you felt like Bridget Jones was a perfect comp, like if it if your book was a movie, Bridget Jones would be the perfect movie to be your book, you could look at hashtags like that, like hashtag Bridget Jones or like what people are talking about in that hashtag and then find a community from there. Okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. So that, yeah. And then you said like, there's different stages. So what would you say to the people? Cause this is, like I said, if you look at like percentage wise, this would be the larger group that's been having all these questions. What happens when either you just decided conscientiously to skip all that <laughs> or you didn't know about it until after you published. And then it's like, it's too late. You can't unpublish a published work. And now you're scrambling to play catch up. Like what happens then? Yeah. So this happens to a lot of people, like a lot of authors where they're like, oh, I didn't believe anyone when they said like, I have to have a social media presence or I had to build a brand around my book. Right. I didn't believe them. Or they right. like just don't know well enough the next steps to like really get there. So there's a few reasons for that, but um, I won't go too far <laughs> into the reasons. But basically, um, the biggest thing you can do after your book has come out is start building relationships. In my opinion, like you can have amazing content and no one will care if you don't actually talk to people, um, which right. is a big thing. People expect people to come to them and that just doesn't work that way. It's maybe in like 2011 when really Instagram was like taking off, you know, right, maybe that right. would have worked then. Is that, I think it was 2011. That was also the year I graduated from college. So I might be confused, but it feels like so forever ago. <laughs> so long ago. I'm getting that old, but anyway, um, yeah. So basically not skipping the step of growing actual relationships is going to take you much farther than like just putting content out there. Cause I think a lot of people think they sell off the content, but you sell off the content being interesting. Plus you being interesting as a person. Okay. Okay. So when you're talking about growing your relationships with people, do you find that, um, authors, especially the ones that you work with have a greater success with just people in general, or is there a specific type like author to author? or offer to books to grammars? Like, do you see a sort of correlation happening between successful and eh? Um, I think it kind of depends. Like there really is a lot that goes into the book bot purchasing process. And sometimes it's as simple as your book isn't really good, which mm. 
I know like sounds kind of mean, but your book isn't well edited. You do it doesn't look professional. You didn't like know the steps to do it. Look and at me sipping my coffee once... like tea, like tell the tea, you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And, but other times it also comes down to timing. So if people rush their book launch process, that can also um, make it harder for them. So I think it comes down to a lot of things and it also comes down to connections. So like if you didn't work on the connections beforehand, then sometimes it's really hard after a launch to make it go up because people are like, I don't care. Like, I don't have a reason to care. This book's been out for like two years. Who cares? You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, but something you can really do to figure out how to make your book successful afterwards is podcasts. Like I totally, I think that podcasts and um, Absolutely. finding new relationships are probably your two best ways in. Um, the reason for this is that most reviewers like will not take on reviewing books post them coming out. This isn't true with like bookstagram community, but it's true with like, if you wanted a big hit, like if you wanted to be in the newspaper near your location. It would be hard to get that hit after your books come out. Right, right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, now, I, I feel like, because again, you know, drinking that, this is a tea, but close enough. <laughs> we need to talk about something that you mentioned. <laughs> the quality of the book. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because that was actually one of my questions anyways. Uh, when I talk with people, that's something that I do do breed up. And, and the way I describe it, it's like when you think about successful retail, because at the end of the day, it is. It's successful retail. Mm -hmm. um, just involves your stories. You still have to have a good product. Like you just said, you have to have a really good product. So the market, and I've told people this, the marketing can be absolutely phenomenal and flawless and perfect. But then when people get the product and it's not living up to the hype, um, that's actually, I feel like that's almost worse, but I was wondering what your thoughts were on that just in general, but also in that direction too. Like, is that worse? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with each other. Like if your marketing's off or your book is off, both of those can throw off your launch and throw off your lifetime book sales in general too, because like you need both of those things for someone to really invest in you. First off, like if your book is, has like a million typos in it or like just clearly didn't get formatted right or just doesn't look like industry standards, you're making yourself look a little bit unprofessional, but also mm -hmm. you're just downgrading yourself like that's the hardest part is like I don't like seeing like authors downgrade themselves and I hear it all the time where they're like I won't um do my marketing because I don't believe my book will sell right but right. yeah <laughs> but ultimately if you won't get an editor if you won't do anything for your marketing what's going to happen to your book will it just sit there will it collect dust I mean that's a real option so I I personally think both of them are important mm -hmm. and absolutely really getting the timing right is also important. Yes. Yes. And you mentioned too, like rushing for that launch is also something that can really hurt your, your debut as well as your incremental sales. So what would you consider a rush? Like what, what kind of alerts you when you hear people say like a certain time period or whatnot and you're like, Oh no, we're rushing it. Well, I had, okay. So I'm going to give my, personal example. I had an author once who worked with a vanity press. Um, I don't think first off, I want to clarify that I don't think all hybrid presses are bad. 
Um, but there's a difference between a hybrid press and a vanity press. Yes. Thank you. Listen to the lady. There's a big difference. Big yeah. And like, I work for a few hybrid presses, like do their social media and they do great jobs for people. Like they're, they set people up for having a good book career after their first book mm -hmm. comes out. You know what I mean? Right. So right. I think that is valuable, but there are these vanity presses that will take advantage of you and Gosh, what was my point? I had a point. <laughs> what's, what's rushing when we're talking about promoting and marketing our books for the debut? That was the original question, but you bring up other really, really good points of you know, the different types of companies. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The author. So, he his book. They gave him a date, and they would not change the date. Mm -hmm. So, what happened when they wouldn't change this date? is he didn't have enough time to actually publicize his mm -hmm. book. And the date was about two months before, like he didn't even have arcs until like the month before. And that is a problem for actually sending it to reviewers. Because think about it from like a perspective of being the reviewer. If you were a reviewer and somebody went into your DMs and was like, I need a book review in a month for my book that's coming out next month. Like that's just rude, right? Wouldn't you be a little offended that people think you have enough time to just read their book instantly? I am a person who reads books instantly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, and this is funny, I'm like, I'm being like completely transparent, guys. And I even put this in my contracts because uh, um, on the note of like vanity versus hybrid, Tala Editorial is actually an editorial company. So it's a different type, even from those two. That mm. being said, I make it very clear when we work with people, we're not marketing experts. Like we, we know some things like, yeah, I can help you absolutely set up your Instagram and you know, we'll look at other avenues. And I probably have some ideas, but I'm not the expert. And I bring this up because I'm not looking over at my calendar going, okay, so I shouldn't send my art copies to everybody one month before I was gonna publish like I originally planned because that was my original plan with press. <laughs> but you're right. You're absolutely right that, you know, not everybody has binge reading um habits like mm. some of us have <laughs> <laughs> well and maybe they do the thing is maybe they do have that binging ability but like it, it expecting it is a different thing right than, right no you you're know? absolutely right you're absolutely so like i'm being publicly honest here on the podcast due to what's going even i was about <laughs> to make that mistake so i'm learning things from amazing hannah here on what not to do and she's helping me not do it <laughs> Woo. Um, which means Christine, my typographer, I have to get that book formatted a lot faster on the calendar than I anticipated. But that's exactly <laughs> it. When it comes to marketing, like you said, it's the other side of the coin for a successful book launch. And Tala and me and Christy and Tara and Ben, we focus on the other side, which is having a really good product. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. both are important. It's like, yes, without one, they both can't function, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked about like what happens when you debut and you didn't do the, the promo side, you didn't do the pre-launch side. Um, so now you're scrambling with the marketing and growing your readership after you debut. What have you had, or maybe, I don't know if you have this experience and if you have, it'd be good to know, like what happens when they had a fantastic run and then the product side, the book side didn't live up to it. So that other half of the coin didn't meet the expectations. What, what do you advise next? Well, with that, it's usually a PR thing. You really have to think about like, is, 
it worth it to keep pursuing this author brand or should I go another route? But like, it depends how bad the reviews are. If you're like getting like tons of one stars, then I would probably suggest that you either consider going with a different name or just restarting your brand in general. However, that doesn't happen all that often. If it's just a okay. few um, one star reviews, like just leave it in the past and keep keep on keeping on and write that next book because what's going to sell your past book is going to be your next book. Uh, but also, if you want <laughs> to, that last book to be forgotten, it's the quickest way for it to get be, be forgotten as well. Okay. That's good. That's actually a really good idea. That's a really good idea. So I've seen that happen on both ends where there's like, like you said, the one side you got amazing marketing and then the product didn't live up or the other side, amazing book, amazing cover, yeah. amazing everything, and just little to no marketing going in. Yeah. You really want a healthy balance of, of absolutely both, which is so, so good. So, so good. Um, and I had a question following up. <laughs> now I'm blanking. Oh, you're okay. Um, Let me so look. when you work with people, when do you typically step into the, the fold? When do you typically enter an author's life when they're serious about making their authorship career really take off? And, and, and you know, like, I, and I always say this too, you have to be serious about your authorship career to pull in all the professionals and get in that. Yeah. So, so when they are at that level, when do you typically enter the picture? So with, it depends on the author. Um, it really depends in general. Cause like some authors are thinking the long game and they decide to come in for a long-term support. Okay. And that's something I do as well. Like for instance, like thinking about my current clients, I have a publisher, um, who I've been helping for more than two years. I have um, one client who's been with me since like literally I started. And then let's see, like two other clients that are like about a year and a half now. Um, and then I have clients that are coming in just for the really their book launches. Like they will do like four months before. Because okay. that's my minimum contract. I don't like, if it's not four months, I like won't do it. If it's management, especially because I don't think you're going to get the results that you really need. Okay. And yeah, I'm, I'm personally under the impression that if you can't get people the best results, you shouldn't take it. Right. Um, I right. used to do that and it was not a good idea. But I learned the hard <laughs> way that you like, you do the things the best you can and know what timeline you can do those in. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, so in general though, about four months is like when most people start with me but what i suggest would be like eight to six like the six to eight range there okay okay no that's very very good to know and here i am going hmm yeah okay <laughs> next book <laughs> uh but no like prax is doing really really well um and, and guys this is like literally how we become amazing what we do we learn from firsthand experience Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm an amazing editor because I've been doing it for like 15 plus years in awesome. all different areas. And like I said, I always make it very clear. I'm not the marketing expert because I don't have that much experience doing it, obviously, <laughs> especially when it comes to promoting your book. But you do. You've got, you know, and, and you're tell you're teaching me some things here too. Where I'm like, huh. So I probably should have finished Prax a couple months ago, but you know, whatever. We'll make do with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I mean, the first book is where you learn and then right, you, right. the next thing to focus on once your book comes out is like people 
don't want to do this, but start writing the next one. They want to be like, I'm obsessed with this first book. But what happens when you start writing that next one and really get it out in like a sufficient amount of time is you can keep up the hype from the first book. And yeah. that way you'll keep your readers, you know? Yes. Okay. So that is a very, very good other question that came up that I was going to say for a completely different discussion, but no, you brought it up and it's really good. Um, when you're working with series and you're working with self-published authors and their series, and I, may, I mentioned this because traditional publishing, they typically set your calendar for you per your contract. But when you're a self-published author, you're the one who's setting your calendar for yourself. So when it comes to that, like I said, when you're keeping up that momentum, when you're looking to really bank on the success of any given novel, um, do you recommend publishing other books between the, the series books? Or do you recommend focusing only on the series and then doing other works later? I think it really depends um, on the specific genre. For instance, like romance, if you are a romance author, you can pretty much do quick launches and it'll work. Okay. Um, whereas some genres it like ju that just doesn't work, you know, and it, and people who write multi-genre, it usually doesn't work as well either. Okay. So I would just, um, if you figure it out, like by experimenting too. So the first thing you can do to figure out like your timeline is figure out what worked and didn't work about your first launch. Okay. So like, if you feel like your first launch, like it didn't have a lot of momentum when it came out then <laughs> crap oh, i don't know what this is why we have hannah here we're all like we're <laughs> taking notes like and going crap 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 <laughs> <laughs> i mean so just to clarify christy because i think you are a romance author am i right um yeah. if you're when you write romance you don't have to go really quick so just to clarify you don't have to like do rapid release but i see it working a lot for um romance authors to do rapid release whereas like if i were a thriller author i would not suggest that okay okay unless you're stephen king maybe yeah if you're stephen king you can do whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> i, I, I want to find that clip and post it from because family guy hit it so brilliantly where they like hit him with a car and he goes flying through the air and he just writing <laughs> and he lands done <laughs> i'm like that's how he works that's how the guy works um, <laughs> okay yeah i'm a, um yeah we have a i'm an author, romance author and i can't handle rapid release uh, yeah that was something that has mm -hmm. been on my mind lately like just how rapidly are we talking rapid release especially since well, there are people like stephen king who just boom boom <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and some people can do like, write a book in two months, but like other people that's so not practical. And really, your first release had to work for you to do rapid release. Because if there's no one reviewing that first book, then like, you're not gonna have reviewers for the second either. So mm -hmm. it really depends on like, who you're looking at, right? And who you are, you know what I mean? Right, right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this also segues into another really, really good uh, question that comes up. And I've actually personally had for myself, because speaking of romance, it turns out I've accidentally become a romance author. <laughs> <laughs> and I say accidentally, because like, Prax is a good example. I did not go in thinking I'm going to write a romance novel. I went in thinking I got a lot to say. And here's a vehicle to say it. And, and it's, it's dark, it's gritty. I mean, it's fun, but it, it cover some dark gritty topics utilizing mythologies but then i started trying to figure out okay how do you categorize the genre i don't know it, it, it is it's like it's not a retelling 
and it's not and, you know you go through the like the amazon like how would you classify it so i talked to people and it turns out i have accidentally followed all the rules for dark fantasy romance no intention mm. What so so that's that was my experience, and I'm like, shoot, I'm a romance author now. Because then we're, I was talking with a literary agent in that same genre, and actually a really prolific uh, romance uh, bookstagrammer, Candance Reads, love her. <laughs> yes, and she was sharing her insights, and then this literary agent who specializes in romance told me um, the framework for all of things. It turns out every single book I've ever wanted to write is absolutely romance, but there are people. Who are, who are like me before I figured this out, where I didn't have it figured out, and you don't know what genre you're in because it doesn't really actually fit any one particular genre. To be fair, Prax actually does fall in. It doesn't technically fit any one given genre. And there's also a hesitation that if you were to slide it under a particular genre, like romance, then you're not hitting the right audience. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So then there's, yeah. this, like, there's this hesitation to categorize it despite the rules. And, and then when you don't categorize it, then how do you know who to market it to? You see, like, there's like this cyclical confusion that happens. What have you run into that? Like what happens when when that is an issue? So <laughs> I was the whole time you're talking, I was like, do not say it, but I, I have to say it. You just call it women's fiction? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, if you're a woman, just call it women's fiction? No, I'm just kidding. But like, when you, you can't categorize a book, I su highly suggest you go to a professional who does this. Like, certain people, like, certain editors will be good at this. Um, certain publicists will do this for you. Okay. So even if like you can't afford a publicity campaign, just going to a publicist and being like, would you do this for me? And asking them the price, like would be a good solution to that problem because you don't want to categorize it wrong because then you have no audience. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. And I think and, that's the hesitation I see a lot. Yeah. And like you want that built-in audience too, even though like really the built-in audience isn't very helpful for actual re reader acquisition, which is why I don't really think just like going to YA author hashtags and stuff like that really works for long-term book sales. Mm -hmm. Now I'm glad you brought that up too. Cause I've noticed super recently, it seems like there's an actual like crackdown on YA fiction like what I've seen more and more of like do not put this under that or a lot of do nots and big caps when it comes to YA fiction have you noticed that as well in, in your world of like the marketing and the promoting side yeah occasionally I think it's because new adult is trying to be a thing <laughs> I noticed that too I noticed that too um and there's there's definitely a difference and it's a confusing difference <laughs> yeah for sure. And I mean, like, there's so many things like people talk about gatekeeping in the right in like the publishing world. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not even going to get into that subject totally. But like, in a lot of ways, there's just so many things hidden about the publishing world that you really have to know by like being in it long enough. Um, and like, there's still things that I'm like, I don't know, like, could you could I tell you off the top of my head? how many books like is the average of an indie author to um sell in their first year no because that information is pretty guarded okay okay 
guarded. And when you say guarded, who would you, is there a who? Like who's guarding it? Or is it just? I, I mean, I think it's an industry thing. Um, but I think it's, I mean, I don't want to put my, I don't really know. Um, but I will say that the publishing world has changed a lot throughout my lifetime. Um, and like, for instance, my uncle was a publisher in New York City. Like before I even was even in the publishing world, like my whole family has always been authors. So, mm -hmm. or in the world in some way. So I kind of saw that as a child and like how it's changed throughout my life is really crazy. So I think yeah. that there's a lot of things that make it so things are hidden. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. And, and let's be totally transparent here. The publishing world changed in the last two years, mm -hmm. just dramatically changed. Um, and, but even before then, and, and I don't know um, if anybody else has listened to any of my podcasts, but everybody knows this, I mentioned one book series in particular constantly, because this was such a game changer for self-publishing, and it's Fifty Shades of Grey. Hmm. Love it or hate it, there is no denying that that first book alone changed the landscape and the perception of self-publishing in general. I remember beforehand, self-publishing really was perceived, at least, you went to Vanity Press, and then the rest of your community was like, oh, that's nice, honey, pat, pat. And then Fifty Shades came out, and even today, people are shocked to hear, no, that was a self-published book. It was, a, what was it, like a self-published ebook for 99 cents? And yeah. it just exploded. Um, yeah, it's yeah. kind of like what, I talk about this all the time with the Goodreads. Um, I can't remember what book was it. I think it was a girl with the dragon tattoo. Is that what it's called? Yes. Um, yes. I say it wrong all the time. For some reason, I'm like the girl on the train or some random thing. But also the girl book. <laughs> dragon tattoo. That one became like a bestseller just through a Goodreads giveaway. Really? Um, it went viral through that. So I think that's an interesting fact too. Like, there's so many different ways to make your book successful that when people give you like this one strategy, it doesn't really work, which is why I love things like my membership, like long-term support is where it's at because yes. really I can't tell you, I can tell you a general way to get there, but I can't give you the specifics without knowing you. And do you feel like that comes down to the fact that the, each author is just different? Mm -hmm. And I think each author has different themes in their books. Mm -hmm. People ignore themes a lot of the time, but like themes are your best way to sell your book. In my opinion, like there's going to be, I mean, how many YA authors are there out there? Like a ton. And mm -hmm. the average American, like this fact, I love telling everyone this, reads 12 books per year. You have to stand out in some way. So being in here and being like, I'm a YA author is just not good enough anymore. Right, right. So that that's a really, really good example. Because yeah, I know like YA is a popular uh, genre that people will strive for because that's what you see turning into all these movies. <laughs> but like you said, it's so, I wouldn't say oversaturated, but it's so popular that you do, you get lost in this, in the ocean, not even the sea, it's mm -hmm. the ocean at this point. Um, so what would you suggest, or do you have like an example of what you would recommend standing on versus something that's so vast like YA? So it really comes down to your themes. That would be like the place I would start. Um, so for instance, like uh, there's this author on here. I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she writes about like 
the religious cult that she was in as a kid, Ooh. which is fascinating. Ooh. I love things like that. So anyway, yes. random, but I love things like that. But anyway, she writes about that. So she's made her platform really specifically about that. And like, also how like the Duggars, like, you know, that family yeah. um, relates back to her book. And she's gotten this huge audience of people that are talking about that and like asking your questions about it and really interested in that um, topic. So yeah. I, okay. I think there's something behind the fact that you, if you really can get into your themes, you can really sell your book much better. Like for instance, I had this author um, who wrote all about her childhood and she did all these like vintage photos of her family. And it was all like these fabulous California vintage photos. And her book sold a ton, her her launch. And part of it was just that it was so particular and like so specific that people understood it. Okay, okay. Now, how would you communicate a theme? Because um, I see like Charlotte saying like a lot of authors struggle to even name their genre, much less promote the more nuanced themes. So on the subject of the things, that's a, that's a difficult one too. Is that something that you think needs to be clearly expressed in the blurb or is that more of everything like surrounding the book like the post and the videos and all the things um i think it can depend like your blurb should probably have something about it if it's particular like if your book is like for instance like this is why historical fiction is kind of can be sometimes easier to sell because right. you've got a time period you know and people who are interested in that time period you can go and find. So I think something that you want to do is like weave it into like everything. Okay. 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 No, and that's, that was a, that's a good idea. And that was a question that came up out of this uh, recent sort of, you know, like post dialogue, I would say it was like a conversation, but like repost, repost. repost. And um, I had mentioned like answering this to this one uh, question, like how Prax and the series, the four book series, um, definitely covers different aspects of human trafficking. A lot of times the aspects that get overlooked. Um, coming from my own research and the first book, Prax, for example, the, the driving case was a real actual kidnapping that I was there for when it happened. One of the chapters is actually just me writing my own experience. And, but it's hard because then the person responded like, well, you don't have anything about human trafficking in your blurb. And I'm like, I didn't know how to respond to that. So I'm like, well, we're still not entirely sure why they were kidnapped. The strong assumption in the day was it was human trafficking, but we don't know. So I didn't feel like it was right to just blatantly say that because I don't know, even though it's fiction, I, st I, st I don't know. <laughs> and yeah. so, but it does mention, you know, one of the region's darkest industries in the blurb itself. So when you have cases like that, where it is even vague to the author, are you, is that what you're talking about where you're like, you're still weaving in and you're still mentioning that, yes, the series is talking about this. Yes, this is how we're addressing these things, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think it could work to do that when it's, the book really has to be about it though. Like in a general, like it has to have some sort of like theme where it really is related. So like right, for instance, right. like if you wrote like a mermaid book, that would be something like, there were tons of mermaids in your book that would be some community to like go into but it, you yeah. want to make sure that you're like doing it in a way that it actually is relevant to the potential reader too yes 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 oh and charlotte has a good comment here too you know authors worry about being cliche 
Um, yes. So I don't want to say friends to lovers or just romance in general. <laughs> um, but readers actually do want that info. So how, mm -hmm. how, how do you avoid sounding cliche but at the same time share the info? My best tip for that is always be specific. People like I think people worry about I'm going to give away my plot or I'm going to give away this about my book. Right. But like literally you cannot give away too much. If you're not giving away enough, that is where your problems are coming from. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was a comment even my editor had. Because yes, editors do hire editors. So we have to keep mm -hmm. each other accountable. And she mm -hmm. would tell me, she's like, if you feel like you're giving away too much, you're not, you're not giving away enough. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard because when you're the author, you know all the things. And so you everything just fits together. But when you haven't read it before, it doesn't always fall together as easily or seamlessly. Yeah. It's a very, very good point. Absolutely. You know what? Ask your editor. Ask them yes. like what they think are the most important things in your book. You, you sometimes you can get a better answer out of someone who's read your book than like you can give yourself to. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And one thing that I've noticed, and I'd I love to know what your thoughts are. This with the authors you've worked with, the books you've seen come out. Um, when I've done novel assessments, which isn't a full edit it's actually the first stage that we do in the full edit but i also do it just individually as well because it's a good diagnostic measure if you're not sure if you're ready for the full edits i can still read the whole book read the whole manuscript i mean and do the analysis send it in i do notice more with male authors but sometimes women too um we see a lot of internal perceptions coming out of how characters are designed mm. Do you see that happen a lot too? We're almost to the point where like, there's a couple actually that I had to send back and mention, hey, so your views about how women operate are very clear <laughs> when you wrote all your characters. Like only in, I'm like one was, and, and it was a fantastic book, don't get me wrong. I'm like, I find it interesting that the only really interesting dynamic and 3D female character is a murderer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you see that happen a lot in, in your work or like, what do you do when it does become? So I don't know how you guys handle this with your editing stuff, but like sensitivity reads are like way underrated. Like every, mm -hmm. I personally believe every book should have a sensitivity read because if you're not being inclusive in your writing and if you're not diversifying who you're talking to, if you're like writing about cliches, like you're not progressing the world. Right, right. We do. We actually did have a, a, a call for our biweekly sessions just on Monday about inclusivity um, in my manuscript. And I also have a podcast episode about inclusivity and how you cover all these things. Um, so yes, yes, absolutely. And you know, what's funny is we talked about ethnicity and race and even like uh, mental illness. And all the, we didn't actually talk about gender, which is interesting. And that's on me. <laughs> That's on me. Uh, now let's talk about reads for a second. You mentioned sensitivity reads and there's this huge, huge, huge debate online that I admit to kind of causing the debate side of that. <laughs> uh, I always feel like sometimes I get in the mood. I would just want to see the world burn. I just go into any random writer's group and shot beta readings for after the editing process and just watch the <laughs> chaos ensue. What are your thoughts on the readings, like beta reading, alpha reading, like you said, sensitive readings? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I my, my real thoughts are like, 
you need an editor like you can't go beta only like that's not a thing Thank you. <laughs> i mean i know i that might be controversial but like if you can only pay an editor a certain amount of money like you should go find an inclusive editor because i personally think mm -hmm. like we all know at this point the publishing world like a lot of these people who aren't publishing traditionally they don't have the money to support their book fully right so having payment plans is something that i always yeah. believe everyone should have like i it makes me sad when i see people be like no that's not that's like beneath me kind of that vibe and i just know <laughs> like, right right no tala we offer payment plans absolutely like there is a certain like limit to where at that mm -hmm. point the payment plan just doesn't make sense for either party but when you're doing a rough draft to bookshelf process it's hefty and yeah. as much as we'd love everybody to have just several grand off the bat i'd love to have that kind of, <laughs> you know we understand we're because we're artists too we're authors too yeah we, we payment plan everything absolutely yeah. and, and that's actually why i work for myself um because i were I, I i also work for a publicist but i actually work for myself because i felt like expecting everyone to be able to afford management is just not practical and i wanted right. to help a different like subset of people you know right 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 now charlotte has a real i'm thank you charlotte for bringing this up because this is exactly what we're really touching on um usually send to four beta readers before sending to an editor because i want to find big, big issues in case there are major changes before i pay an editor i see a lot of people doing that um and I want to say like, uh, this is the editor side. Cause I want Hannah to talk mm -hmm. about this from the marketing side and like your experience, the editor side in me. Um, if you're, if you mean by beta readers, like friends and family, I'm never going to stop anybody from doing that because if anybody's going to be blatantly like really transparent with you, it's probably going to be your friends and your family. Hopefully you have a good like inner community that does that. I do. If, if it sucked, my, uh, <laughs> my friends would tell me, <laughs> you know, or even, even my family. Um, but in general, speaking to just the much larger general group, the problem with doing beta readers for an editor is that beta readers are not professionally trained to identify big issues. They can tell you their personal opinions. They're almost never correct. And I say that from reading so many problems coming out of beta reading and preceding editing, because I, I even had like um, good editing colleagues who have mentioned now their authors won't listen to them because their mm -hmm. beta reader disagreed. I'm like, this is exactly why we don't do beta reading before the editing. Um, but mm -hmm. on a diagnostic level, as an editor, I totally understand maybe you can't afford to go all in for the full edit. So that's where the novel assessment, some call it an editorial assessment, some call it an editing review. I call it novel assessment to kind of be blatant about it it's a super economically and time savvy way to get that diagnostic measure done before you dive into a full edit by somebody who's trained to identify all of these things um and i actually just redesigned the whole rubric so it's really pretty and fancy and it can range anywhere from 15 pages to 30 pages of of really deep analyzing the book as a whole and then i always 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 give um authors at least a month's time at least a month's time to make revisions as needed and then we deep dive in the edit or and i've had a couple clients do this they discover hmm 
I should probably just rewrite the whole thing. That's also fair. But you didn't spend thousands of dollars or even hundreds of dollars on a full edit. You spent maybe, now we flat rate it. We don't, some people do by word, we don't. Um, by word tends to range anywhere from 500 to 900 for a novel assessment. Oof, uh, not, not, they're good people. Like they're good editors. And you can, if you can, definitely, we flat rate it at 250, just 250. Um, and it's usually a week turnaround because I am that crazy person who pinch rates. <laughs> Um, and that's how on the editing end, we approach that, you know, making sure that you do get a will this work analysis, but from somebody who's actually in publishing and coming from a professional, uh, even marketing, we do have a marketing forecast in the novel assessment and just really lineating everything. So on your side, how would you approach that same um, concept of like beta reading versus editing, both on the economic and you know, like quality level. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different solutions for this. But like, you could go if like, you don't feel like you're ready yet for an editor, you feel like there's still some reworking to do, you could go the book coach route. However, you really need to be careful about this. Because I don't know if anyone else has noticed there's a ton of book coaches just popping up. And like, mm -hmm. they've never published a book. They've never really gone to school for it. I'm just saying if you're going to pay somebody that much money to um, publish your book, they either need experience or some yeah. sort of degree, in my yes. opinion. Yes, absolutely agree. I think there are some really good editors out there who prefer to book coach. Fully support them. Do it. Um, my hesitation, and I've talked to some, some colleagues on that, like, yeah, we're all very hesitant when it's a book coach who doesn't actually work in the publishing realm. Um, if you, and like, and it comes down to if you want to spend your money that way to have somebody cheerlead you through the process, spend your money that way. There mm -hmm. are people who buy Teslas. That's great for that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you do what's best for you. You know, you do you, boo. Um, but I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Um, you definitely want a professionally trained eye from the beginning, whatever yeah. it look like. Um, Charlotte asked, what is the 250 deliverable a beta read? Um, it's, it's, um, to put it really uh let's say like really easily it is like a better read but better because it's by an editor yo <laughs> and and it's it's like i said it could be depending on the length of the manuscript it could be anywhere from 15 pages to 30 pages of a full analysis um so like a better a beta read for example and technically and it says i studied ancient greek so it bugs me it's actually an alpha read <laughs> <laughs> alpha first beta later that's why it's called beta anyways um the read is uh the, the standard read is they read it and they tell you what they liked about it what they didn't like about it they might write up a summary if they're professionally good at it. a lot of beta readers aren't professionals they just want free copies of books i'm being fully i don't know if you noticed that too i've noticed that most beta readers just want free books um but a developmental um i mean it's a, a novel assessment I still read the book, but I'm also going to tell you as a developmental editor, okay, what's going on with the plot? What's going on with the characters? What's going on with the world build? What's going on with the dialogue? Um, in some cases, when I've had somebody say, okay, I'm planning on publishing this two weeks from now, I just want somebody to like basically professionally beta read it, but with the developmental editor's mindset, I'm like, sure. And then I've come back and put in my analysis, do not publish, <laughs> must be professionally edited or, you know, personally like good lord at least hire a copy editor you know like whatever you know like before you do 
this is what it needs. Um, now, Tala's novel assessment includes, like I said, the, the market forecast. So we will tell you um, if it were to publish in its current state, here's what you can look at, seeing happen. And sometimes it's nothing, nothing's gonna happen because it really needs that help. Other times it's like, okay, you, you might get a few sales, maybe not. And then we'll give you a market forecast based on what if you actually gave the full go um, and, and actually it'll get invested in and someone like Hannah getting that, that marketing up and that promotion and the readership built, but also like in Tala's process, getting it professionally edited on all the stages, professionally typeset, professionally designed, professionally put out there in retail into a much, 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 much higher chance and probability actually at getting that revenue back. That's all included in the novel assessment, that, that 250 deliverable, including like next steps for either publishing, actually both self-publishing and traditional publishing, because sometimes minds change. I've seen that happen. We do a novel assessment and suddenly we're either, oh no, I do want to self-publish or, oh no, I definitely want to traditionally publish. The mm -hmm. nice thing about novel assessments is that technically, an editor has now officially worked on your novel because I have, it's a hefty process. So if you do decide to traditionally publish, you can honestly and accurately say with documents available and my contact information on your query letter that your manuscript has been worked on by an editor. And I've discovered through talking through literary agents that actually boosts your, your um, visibility in the big stacks that come in and the emails and, and personal letters uh, when they see that. Now they're interested. Interesting. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like a long, like I try to like summarize what's a, what's a very intensive but very valuable process. And yeah, with Tala, it's only two fifty. Yeah, that's two fifty bucks you'll ever spend. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to answer Charlotte's question. That's a, that's a good one. Like, what is that two fifty? Yes, yes. Um, so going back to growing your readership, what are some of the, um, what would you, actually I was curious to know, what would you say your number one most successful uh, book so far or author has been utilizing your process? Like, do you have one that's just like, oh, yes. Um, you mean like that I've taught or that I've managed? Cause there's two, I mean, there's two different sides of that coin. Like okay. with management, like sometimes, I can do the same thing for everyone and there's just that one book you know what i mean that mm -hmm. does the best because right. of like relevancy so okay. that book for me would probably be um well actually there's multiple ones but like the one that's most recent and the one that i think is probably most relevant and would be interesting to people is one that was about a virus in the middle of 2020 so that one did really well, partially because of the subject matter, you know? Now, that's interesting. Did they, was it something that they wrote before that even happened and the timing just worked out or was it something they wrote inspired by or, or okay? Yeah, so they wrote it really a lot before. Like they wrote it like when their kid was growing up, right? And then their kid found it when they were an adult and picked it up and was like, you need to publish this. So they rewrote it and got an editor and all that. Mm -hmm. And then decided to publish it in the middle of 2020. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. So when you look, and when you look at measuring the success, 
how do you measure that or how do you recommend your authors measure that is it in in like the money is it in the readership numbers is it reviews like how do you really measure that success so something i think people get confused about is my job is not to get you sales at the okay. end of the day my job is first to get you marketing like like to market your book and then it's to get you sales so like it sometimes takes longer than they anticipate and therefore they get frustrated and are like, well, this, I'm just throwing out. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. Like I'm not getting where I want to go, but it takes time. So if you try to speed up the process, it doesn't usually work. Okay. Okay. Um, and when you say it takes time, I know there are people who are going to be asking this, how long, like, what, what do you have like an average that you see like, hey, after six months, you should see or you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it depends on the genre, first off, which is so frustrating. And like, I hate saying that, but it really does. Like, I have romance authors that I could sell their books in my sleep. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, whereas some authors like short story collections, for instance, super hard to sell because there aren't isn't an inbred like audience for it okay so you have to really work on those themes and figuring out the themes of the book to get that audience in so that's a little harder and a trickier of a sell so it really depends on the genre so i can't really give a timeline but in general if you're thinking like my book might be hard to sell you should go with the six months before your book comes out for okay. your first one especially and then you can kind of measure how that went and then figure okay. out your timeline from there. Okay, okay, okay. Now I'm gonna pull Christy in for a really quick example. Um, Cause in my head, I keep thinking June. That's when I started working with her on Truvai, but it actually published in November. Great opening week, great first month. And now we're getting to the third month. And um, it's, you know, and it's been like a natural, just like, oh, okay. So we're just kind of leveling out here. Is that pretty typical Do you see like three months in or is there something that like she should be doing to kind of get back on that upswing? Because it's a gorgeous book and the reviews are the only negative review is someone who thought it involved uh, sex and it didn't. <laughs> you know, I was like, was not what I expected. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Christy, that's when you tap into your brand and your community. So like stuff like podcasts um, finding those kind of opportunities and tapping into like actually getting know to know people because sometimes they like literally just don't know it exists because they're not on your profile. Like the thing you have to think about when you're on social media is everyone is on here for a reason. Right. So, right. and you're not their reason. Right. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. Which I, I hate saying that cause it's, but it's true. Like, I mean, I'm an actor too. Like I don't talk about this that much on this platform, but that's why where the act comes from and my handle is like, I also do theater on the side. Um, but for instance, like we talk about in theater, like having an objective and literally right. everyone is doing something to get to their goal. And that's really what you have to think about on social media too. That, that is really deep and very, very true. Very true. Very true. That, yeah, no, that's good. I'm so glad we recorded this. <laughs> um, oh, this is awesome. I know we only got a couple minutes left, so I want to open the floor for any other questions that people have um, here. Um, and thank you, everybody, for coming, because this is really good to have that feedback. I think I was mentioning to Hannah, and I think I mentioned to Christy, too, in chat. I'm probably going to do future interviews like this, because it does open the floor for people to ask real-time 
hey, what do you want to know when it comes to marketing? Especially yeah. for, for you, Hannah, you've got a great program. I did, um, and I'll include in the email going out too, I did like a quick email invite with your info in there, but I'll do some more because I know you sent me more information. Um, yeah, you're, you're uh, what is it, the Dream Reader? Dream Reader Boot Camp, Dream, yeah. dream Reader. <laughs> Yeah, so that actually, the carts just closed on it, unfortunately, but okay. I do have a second round coming in September, and I have a membership, so I'm going to get you a code so okay. that you, they will get founder rate. Um, if you sign up from her podcast, you'll get a founder rate from it. So that's $27 per month, and I have a three-month minimum. But basically, you get prompts every month. You get a Q&A. You get um, a masterclass every month, and you get mini trainings throughout the month, especially on, like, different updates to social media so that you're already knowing what's going to happen and not freaking out when things come out. Because I don't know if you noticed, but, like, one author freaks out about a new update, and everyone... It's like just right. everyone all of a right. explodes. So right. the real thing about this is I get to mentor you over time. And that is, in my opinion, the best way to ask for someone to help you with marketing is either getting mentored over time or management. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so for everybody watching, everybody listening and watching later, um, when it comes to really getting a fantastic product, that being your book. So it's professionally edited. It has the professional uh, layout formatting because we do ebook, paperback, hardback, the gorgeous cover design, getting it even uploaded with like your ISBNs, going into Ingram Spark and KDP and all that. We are your people. Uh, but when it comes to marketing, Hannah's your people. <laughs> we will send you to Hannah because she's the one who's, who's really nailing on it. And it's both like, again, we focus on actually creating the product, but yeah. also there's just a capacity limit. <laughs> Even if I was as good as you, I'd probably still say go to Hannah because there's only so much I can handle my brain. <laughs> yeah. And like, if we all tried to do all the things, we wouldn't be very good at one. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. Go to Hannah for, for all the marketing themes and promo, especially since that timeline that you're advising is admittedly longer than the one I gave myself. And that's good to know. <laughs> so again, that's, that's, I'm learning a lot here as much as I hope everybody else is learning a lot. Um, now, and again, shameless plug, if you are interested in that novel assessment, because that seemed to be really popular, like, ooh, pop it up in the chat, DM me, DM me. We'll talk and we'll get you going and get that diagnostic run. Because uh, like I said, even at the end of the day, if it's a book that you're not quite ready to publish now that you've had the novel assessment done, you've got a lot of feedback and information to really build up phenomenal novel on that you then go to Hannah for to get your promos and market and build your readership and get that career going. You've been listening to the pen and quill podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Nikki Auberkit. I'm also on Facebook, same handle and same thing with Twitter. But if you want to be in the know about books coming out, first picks for PR boxes, contests, freebies, all the good things, do be sure to follow me there at Nikki Auberkit. And also check out my website at NikkiAuberkit.com.